I'm, I'm going to share for a couple minutes from God's Word just on the significance of why we're here and what we're actually celebrating. Um, I say this every year, uh, so if you attend here, uh, if this is your church home, you'll know this, but I, I always say that Christmas is such an interesting holiday uh, to me. Um, if you would walk around and ask kind of the average person, what is Christmas about? I mean, some people would give the, oh, it's Santa and it's presents and blah, all that kind of stuff, but most people would say something along the lines of, yeah, we're like celebrating Jesus' birth. Uh, no matter who you ask, most people would say, well, it has something to do with that. And we set up nativity scenes um, and we sing Christmas carols. Even if you've been to the grocery stores in the last few weeks, um, I, I'm in no frills and over the speakers, it's hark the herald angels sing. That's pretty good. Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. As I'm putting, you know, spaghetti in my cart, I'm like, do, do people realize what we're singing as we shop, right, at Christmas time? God and sinners reconciled, and we're all, yes, I love Mariah's version of that, it's great, right? It's interesting. Um, even our, our neighbor, neighbors who live next door to us aren't, you know, followers of Jesus by any stretch of the imagination, but a big sign on their front porch says, oh, come let us adore him. And I'm like, do you realize what you're talking about? Listen, some of you here tonight, can we be honest? Some of you are like, why am I here? You've been dragged here maybe by family, and yet we do this. It's part of our Christmas traditions, but what does the birth of Jesus actually mean? And why are we celebrating it 2,000 years later? Um, Advent, uh, the Advent season for us as a church this year, um, we've talked a lot about the world that Jesus brings, the fact that the birth of Jesus uh, literally changed the universe forever. Um, it altered the earth, and Jesus brought what he called his kingdom with him, and it, it was a new way to be human. And, and so we talked a lot about this season. You know, what was the world like before Jesus came? How does the Bible describe it? And what did Jesus actually come to do? And so we, we've learned this Christmas season that, well, God created the world, and it was good, and God placed human beings in the world, and he looked at everything that he had made, and he said, man, this is very good. Uh, and, and it's this perfect relationship between human beings and God. But as you know, you flip page one of the Bible and you go, man, that didn't take long. And human beings uh, messed everything up. It didn't take long uh, that Adam and Eve, the first human beings, they believed a lie about God. Right? God's holding out on you. God doesn't really want what's best for you. Don't you know that you can actually be the God of your own life? You don't need him. And so human beings then rebelled against God. And if you want to look around the world and say, what is the cause of all of this death and sin and broken relationships and conflict and all of these things, the Christian answer would be, well, it was the fall. That's why everything in the world is kind of jacked up and broken and messed up. Um, we did this. Now, it's interesting. Um, lots of times we can look at the mess around the world or the mess in your own family relationships, or with your kids, or at work, or whatever. And a lot of times, we love to point fingers at uh, whose fault it is, right? Who's responsible for all this mess? 
And listen, uh, couples do this. Well, if my wife just did that, then I wouldn't do that. So it was her fault. And then the wife says, well, if my husband was more this, then I wouldn't do that. So it was his fault. And we point the finger, right? And different countries point. It's not our fault that we had to invade. They started it. And we love to point the finger. Do you know that that actually goes all the way back to the very beginning? When the first human beings messed up, did they stand before God and they, did they say, yeah, you're right, God, we blew it? No. They said, he did it. Right? So Adam and Eve sinned and then they realized that they were naked because shame came into the equation. And then God comes and God talks to them. And this is what he says. It says, he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, yes, God, I own up to my sin. No. The man said, it's the woman. The woman that you gave me, God. She did it. She gave me the fruit. And then I ate. So it's her fault. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, you're right. It's my fault. I did it. No. The serpent did it. He deceived, it's not my fault, Adam, don't point the finger at me, it was him. He deceived me, and then I ate. And since then, on and on, whenever the question of uh, who's responsible for this, we all point the finger. It's not me, it's not, I'm not the problem. There has to come a point where we actually just own up to the, to the mess that we've made. The Bible would call that sin. We just own up to the sin that we've created. Um, it was a while ago, uh, maybe a year ago, um, I came home from work, <coughs> excuse me, um, and it had, it had been a long day, and I remember I had gotten up very early before the rest of my family was awake, and I kind of had a meeting that morning, and I, and, and I, got, I was gone, and then I came home, and um, if you're a parent, maybe you resonate with this, but I often just walk around my house turning off lights and flushing toilets, yes? So I went into our downstairs bathroom, and it was just like a disaster, so the toilet was unflushed, there was a towel on the floor, there was some uh, water on the floor, uh, just garbage. It was just like an absolute mess. So I called my three kids in, and I had a very, I thought it was a great lecture. And uh, just like, listen, Dad, Dad, you left the lights on, first of all, it ain't free, right? I'm paying for this. Look, you left the toilet unflushed. There's a towel on the floor. There's a bit of like water on the floor. Like what is going on here? Responsibility. And, take it. and then halfway through my lecture, I remembered that it was me who made the mess that morning. Does that ever, uh, whatever, parents, judge me, you've done it, right? And I remembered, right, I had gone down and showered in the downstairs bathroom. I was trying to be quiet and not wake anybody up, and I was the one that had made this mess. And now I'm lecturing my kids about, like, responsibility and take, and then it was just kind of like, you know what, just go play. Ooh, lecture over. Why? Because it was me. I was the one who did that, right? And there's, there's a point in life where there's actually a lot of freedom when you stop blaming everybody else and say it's your fault and it's your fault and your fault. And you actually go, ooh, actually it's me. I'm the one. Uh, in, in 1905, there was a newspaper. Uh, I think it was the uh, Chicago newspaper that they ran this kind of series of articles. And the question was, what is wrong with the world? And they would ask you know, different types of leaders, politicians. They would ask um, different kinds of business leaders and, and uh, professors and things like that. And they asked uh, a theologian by the name of G.K. Chesterton 
they asked him to uh, submit an answer to this newspaper. What is wrong with the world? And you can imagine all the different types of answers, and it's the economy, and it's politicians' fault, and it's the government, and blah, 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 all these things. G.K. Chesterton, this was his answer to this newspaper's question. What is wrong with the world? He said, dear sirs, I am. And that was it. But there was, right, there was a, there was a, a realization that, man, we can point the fingers at everyone, but Bottom line, who's responsible for the brokenness in my life and the sin in my life and the conflict in my life? It's me. The Bible describes this mess that we made as humans and that all humans, everyone is responsible. And yet, though, we've seen this Christmas season as we've studied the Bible, there's always this promise, even from the very beginning, God said, well, I'm actually going to come and I'm going to fix this problem that you have made as the human race. Um, we've looked at Isaiah 9, 6 a bunch this Christmas season, but this was one of the promises given to the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus came. He said this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So there was this expectation among God's people that they said, well, someone's coming and his name is actually Mighty God. So it's not just anyone that's coming to fix this, this mess that we've made. God himself is coming. Now, what would you be expecting as rebellious human beings who at the beginning said, you know what, God, we don't need you. We got this and plunged all of humanity into sin and darkness. What would you expect when the God of the universe is coming to visit his people that he's made that has filled his good creation with evil, violence, and sin, I think many people would go, oh man, he's going to be mad. Um, some of you who maybe grew up with discipline in your home, you can remember the phrase, go to your room, dad will be home soon. Right? Maybe just me. But I remember there was only a few times because I was a good kid. Um, but my mom would say, ah, I just, I can't deal with this anymore. Go to your room. Your dad will come in when he gets home. So then you're putting on every pair of underwear you own, right? <laughs> but there was this expectation, right? Dad's going to get home. And what should I be expecting? Man, he's going to drop the hammer. Because I've mouthed off to my mom. I've been bad or whatever, right? And it's like, dad's coming home. Oh, shoot. I think some people had this expectation, okay, God's coming to visit earth, and he's going to deal with the problem that we've created? Man, this is not going to go well for us. However, when you read about the birth of Jesus, there's nothing like that. There's, there's no sentiment of like, man, we're screwed, we're all going to get just wiped out by God's anger at us. You read about the birth of Jesus, and what is it described as? As a joyous thing. Mary in Luke 1, she just sings, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices. In, uh, Zechariah, who's one of the priests in Luke 1, he says, God has raised up for us a horn of salvation. He's shown mercy to us. He gives light to those who sit in darkness. He's leading us into peace. That doesn't sound like scared that God's coming. The angels, when they come, do they say to the shepherds, look out, find a rock to hide under, you're all toast. The angels say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, what? Peace. 
Um, Simeon, this old man who holds the baby Jesus uh, after he's born, he says, ah, my eyes have seen your salvation, God. So Jesus coming, God in the flesh, is seen as a great thing. Even Jesus himself, Jesus grows up, and at the age of 30, he begins his ministry of preaching about his kingdom and teaching people about what it means to really be human, actually, what it means to be a part of his kingdom, and he heals people, and he, he sets them free from demons, and, and Jesus one evening meets with a man named Nicodemus, who is one of the religious leaders, and ha- he has so many questions. He's like, what does this mean? And then Jesus says these famous words, you know John 3.16, but many of you don't know John 3.17. Jesus says this to this man who is searching, why did you come? Who are you? What did you come to do? And Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So what we celebrate at Christmas is that Jesus, God in the flesh, brought mercy instead of judgment. That he didn't come to say, you know what, you guys made a huge mess, I'm just going to wipe you all out. He could have. He would have been totally just to do that because we are his enemies. And yet he comes in, in, not in judgment, but Jesus comes in mercy. But then the question is, well, how can he do this? How can God come and show us mercy instead of judgment? Is God just kind of, you know, letting us off the hook and saying, ah, don't worry, forget about it? Um, some of you maybe have watched, um, like, uh, highly televised uh, public trials. You know, someone uh, who commits a murder or, or does some terrible thing and they televise, they broadcast um, the, the trial. Now, if, if there was a trial where a man had done just terribly, I'm not even, because there's kids present, but just terrible things, and there was evidence that showed that he was 100% guilty. It wasn't like, a, oh, maybe he did it, maybe he didn't. No, he did it. And you're watching this televised, and then it comes to the verdict, and the judge goes, well, you know what? Don't worry about it. It was an oopsie-daisy. We're just going to let him go th- free. Would you then, as the, the audience watching, who was invested in this, go, yeah, I think he made the right choice? No, we would say, that judge is terrible. Injustice. So the same can be said about us. We are enemies of God, and God can just let us off the hook. How does that work? That's not a just God. Someone has to pay, don't they? The Bible is really clear. The wages, what we get because of our sin and rebellion, The penalty is death. We deserve the death sentence. And yet, the reason Jesus came is to actually stand in your place. Isaiah 53, describing Jesus, says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we've turned every one, it's all of us, to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you hear the language? He was wounded, why? Because of my transgressions. He was crushed, why? Because of my iniquities. What, what chastisement was put on him? It was for me. It was, I was meant to be the one who died. And so Jesus comes, and he's born, and he lives, and then he goes to the cross, and, and he pays the penalty of our 
sin. And when you trust in Jesus by faith, when you hear the story of Jesus and you go, yes, that is true, that happened, what happens on your account, it says paid in full. Your sin has been wiped off, wiped clean. You can actually go free because someone else paid the debt that you owed. This is why the Apostle Paul in Romans 3 says this, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he, God, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, see Jesus, uh, God would not be just if he just looked at all of our sin and brokenness and went, you know what, have a do-over. We would go, that's a terribly unjust God. And the fact that Jesus willingly went to the cross, it means that God is just and he's the one that justifies you. Meaning he redeems you. He sets you free from your sin and your brokenness. Now that's, that's actually what Christmas is about, right? We get lost in the, uh, the cutesiness of it and the shepherds and the wise men and the gifts and baby Jesus didn't ever cry. And I'm like, he was a baby. Of course he cried. But we get caught up in all of the cutesiness of it when we forget that Jesus came for a very specific purpose. To go to the cross. To deal with all of the sin and brokenness that you and I caused. Um, Jesus illustrated it this way. Um, oftentimes Jesus would teach and he would use parables. Which are essentially stories. Jesus would tell a lot of stories. And so Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 15. A story about two sons. And I think it actually really illustrates God's mercy instead of his judgments. And the point of this story, actually, is you are meant to read the story, and you're one of the two sons. That's who you are in the story. So as you listen to the story, you're meant to go, who, who am I in this story? So Jesus tells a story about two sons. This, this older man has two boys, and the younger son comes to his father, and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance. Which you have to understand, right? When do you usually get an inheritance from your parents? Um, when they die. So essentially, the younger son was saying, I wish you were dead. Dad, I, I wish you would just die so that I, I can get my money from you. So can you just give me your money? And the, the father gave uh, this younger son his inheritance. And we're told that then the younger son goes to Vegas, essentially. That's my paraphrase, okay? But he goes, and what does he do? He blows all of his money on parties, on drunkenness, on terrible debauchery. He just blows, he goes through all of his inheritance like that, just living it up, right? Viva Las Vegas. Just having the time of his life, and then he's flat broke. And he goes, I have no money left. I have nothing to eat. I have nothing. I, I got to find a job. And so he goes, and he finds a farmer, and he asks if he can work for the farmer. And actually, as he's, as he's helping this farmer with his pigs, he's actually eating the pig's food. Because he's just so broke and so destitute and so broken. And he's eating the pig's food. And this is what he says in Luke 15. But when he came to himself, it's like he kind of shook his head and went, wait, what am I doing? He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Um, that seems like a good plan. 
right? You've, you've completely wasted all of your father's money. It seems like a good idea to go back and say, listen, I don't call me your son anymore. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I blew it. Just make me one of your slaves. And so then we, say, we, we read, uh, Jesus says that the younger son then started home. Expecting what? Judgment. Wrath. Anger. The father going, how dare you show your face around here again? But is that what happens? No, the son, a long way off from his home, and there's the father waiting by the road, looking, most likely looking every day since his son left. Is my boy coming home? And then the father sees his son coming, and then lifts up his tunic, right? That's what they wore, which is terribly embarrassing, and sprints down the road. What, to give his son a knuckle sandwich? No, to say, you made it home. Welcome. You were dead, but now it's like you're alive. You've been lost, but now you're found. And then he says to his servants, get the fat calf, get the cow, slaughter it. Call Stan the butcher. He's going to slaughter it. Free advertising, Stan. Uh, And let's have a party. Here, son, that came back, wear my robe. Here's my ring. Let's have a party with all of our friends. Why? Because it's like I got my son back. Now, there's another son in the story, the older son. And we're told that the older son has always been obedient to his dad. Has never done anything wrong. Very straight-laced. And the older son refuses to come into the party. And so the dad comes out and he says to the older son, why aren't you... Why are you in here with us? And the second son very angrily says, Dad, I have never done anything wrong. I have followed all the rules. I have done everything right, and you've never thrown a party for me. It's not fair. And then the father repeats what he had said. He said, listen, your brother, it's like he was dead, and now he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found Come into the party with us. So what's the point of the story? Um, You're either one of the two sons. Some of you are the younger son, and you have just actually cared less about God, the Father. You've gone and you've done your own thing. I'm going to go and party. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do whatever I want. And God, in this story, is the Father just, just waiting for you to come home. Not not to drop the hammer on you, not to just smite you with wrath, but he's waiting in love, looking down the road going, oh, that they would just come home. And I've, as a pastor, I've talked with lots of you, and I hear this all the time. I'm just, you don't know what I've done, though. God would never accept me. You don't know the life that I've had. There's no way. I'm not good enough. And the whole point of the story is, you're right. You're not good enough. But this is exactly why Jesus came. Because none of us are good enough. And so for you, if you're here tonight and your story is, well, I've actually just like walked away from God. I don't want anything to do with him. Jesus would say, would beckon you to come home. What are you going to be greeted with when you come home? With love and with acceptance And with a party. 
And Jesus will say, welcome home. You were lost, but now you're found. Um, Some of you are the older son. And this would be people who, um, I obey all the rules. I'm very religious. I do all the right things. I am trying to earn my salvation by being good enough. And I'm angry when God shows grace to other people. It's not fair. I'm here busting my butt, working so hard, trying to be so good. And then God welcomes this sinner over here. I think what that reveals is that deep in your heart, there's a desire that you, you actually want to earn your salvation. And you need to hear tonight that salvation has been freely given. Uh, you don't have to prove yourself because Jesus has already done it for you. So the wonder of the Christmas message, this is why I, I, I get excited about Christmas because it goes so far beyond, oh, the cute story and baby Jesus Yes, that happened, but oh, oh, it's so much more wondrous than that. That the the gospel is that we have made a mess and Jesus came to fix it. And all you have to do is by faith believe that Jesus is who he says he is and the Father welcomes you home. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, and I think it's so fitting. For God has not destined us for wrath. Many of you think that. God's just mean and he's destined us for wrath. He hasn't. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. So my prayer for you this Christmas is that you would enjoy, yes, enjoy all of the the things and the traditions that we do. Um, But I would be a pretty lousy pastor if tonight I didn't actually like beg that you would Put your faith and trust in Jesus. That you would be, if you're the younger son wandering around, living your own life, that you would see the emptiness of that and go, now you know what? Maybe even this Christmas season, I'm just going to head home. I'm going to go back to God the Father. And what am I going to be met with? You're going to be met with mercy instead of judgment. And then for some of you who, listen, you try so hard, so hard, so hard to earn your salvation by being good enough. My prayer for you is that this Christmas, uh, you would actually just rest. That you would go, actually, I I have nothing to earn. Jesus has done all of it for me. All I have to do is believe. Right? Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will have life. You will have salvation. You will be saved. So that's my prayer for you this Christmas. I'm going to ask the team to come up. Um, We want to respond with some singing. Um, The the first song they're going to sing, we'll just encourage you to just uh, sit for the first half of it. Uh, Just as a time to just think and reflect. uh, And then um, when they ask you to rise and sing with them, we'll we'll just end with a few songs. Um, But would you pray with me? Um, Father, I thank you for this time of year. Um, God, this is my favorite time of year. Uh, and, and for many reasons, I love the traditions that we have. And I love when we sit around a table and eat good food. And I love that we give gifts to each other and we decorate and all of those good things. But Jesus, so far above that is the fact that this time of year, um, we are celebrating that God, you came that you looked at the mess we had made, you looked at your enemies, 
stuck in sin and darkness and evil, and rather than say, well, you know what, I'm just going to wipe them out and wash my hands of them, you looked at us and you said, I'm actually going to do anything it takes to get those people in my family. I'm actually, actually going to send my own son to die on a cross so that I can buy them back. So that I can save them and redeem them and set them free. So Jesus, thank you for what you've done for us. God, I know in a room uh, this big, there's so many different types of people. Uh, many of us are the, the older brother types, and we're very religious, and we try very, very hard, and we want to keep all the rules and do all the right things because we somehow think that we're earning our salvation. God, I pray that we would just rest. That Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. Not 80%, not 99%. 100% finished. He's done it all for us. And there's many in this room who are like the younger son, who have wandered away, who have said, I don't need God. I don't need to do this. And I know that there's some here tonight that have that feeling of, I, I've just gone too, too far down that road. I can't come back. So God, I pray that they would realize that all it takes is faith in you, Jesus. And if they walk down that road, you are the Father that runs towards them, embracing them and saying, welcome home. What took you so long? So because of all of this, uh, Jesus, we just worship you tonight. And so we pray this all in your mighty name. Amen.